Speech is more the physical production of speech sounds. So like the way that your tongue and lips and jaw and voice work together to make sounds. And parents often describe this as like how their child is pronouncing words. And then language is the words that we understand and say and how we use them to communicate. So an example I love to give is like a toddler might have the word water in their vocabulary and that is language. And let's say they pronounce that word wawa, then that is the speech part of it. Welcome to the Pete's Doc Talk podcast. This show's success is largely due to you and the way you share the podcast with others and leave reviews. So thank you for doing that and please continue to do so. I'm so grateful to have the most amazing guests to guide you in your parenting journey. Things about all things newborn, child health, parenting, child development, and parental, mental, and physical health. Today's guest is talking about something in child development. She is Melissa Minnie, a return guest of mine, and she's a speech language pathologist and founder of Raising Little Talkers. And we're discussing normal progression of speech sounds in toddlers and kids. Thank you so much for joining me today, Melissa. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you back. I don't know if you know this, but our other episode about pre-verbal communication we recorded that probably a year ago, is actually one of my top 10 podcast episodes. So I don't know if you knew that, but you are definitely a top 10 episode and people were very interested in that. And I wanted you to come on to talk about this topic because I get a lot of questions um, from followers. For example, my own three-year-old was not pronouncing words correctly, quote unquote, and saying different letter sounds or different ways for quite some time. And then now he's learned the proper way of saying these words. So we're just going to talk about the normal progression of speech sounds. But for anyone who's not familiar with who you are and what Raising Little Talkers is, tell us more about yourself. Yeah. So I'm a speech language pathologist and I used to provide speech therapy services for toddlers and their families, but went on maternity leave when my second baby was born. And then right about the time that I was going to return to seeing clients, the pandemic hit. And so not knowing what the future held, I decided to educate parents through Instagram. And I wanted to give parents just like actionable strategies that are easy to incorporate into what they're already doing at home so that they can feel really confident teaching their babies and toddlers to communicate and not feel like another thing is being added to their plate. And so that's how the Raising Little Talkers course was born and my Instagram. And yeah, it's been a blessing really. To, it's kind of was an unexpected turn in my career to be online and I love it so much. Yeah, same. I mean, I definitely pivoted towards social media and it is a mostly love relationship with the algorithm and with Instagram, but it's so nice to be able to (laughs) meet and reach so many more people besides who we were seeing in the offices. Like imagine, I think you have over 500,000 followers, like being able to reach so many people in this community and with your education. It's so awesome. So thank you for all that you put out there. Yes. So everyone needs to follow her at Raising Little Talkers, but I'll be linking Instagram handle as well as other resources to my show notes. So talking about normal progression of speech sounds, you know, parents are monitoring how many words a child is saying, but as they begin to speak more, this can shift to the question a lot of parents have, which I mentioned already, is it normal if they're saying a word incorrectly or can't say certain sounds? What do we see in obviously the speech language world about what is normal progression of those sounds? Yeah. Before I touch on that, I just want to, because some parents I think get confused between the difference Mm -hmm. between speech and language and especially in the toddler years, it's really intertwined. So just to give parents like a little 
easy definition, like speech is more the physical production of speech sounds. So like the way that your tongue and lips and jaw and voice work together to make sounds. And parents often describe this as like how their child Mm -hmm. is pronouncing words. And then language is the words that we understand and say and how we use them to communicate. So an example I love to give is like a toddler might have the word water in their vocabulary and that is language. And let's say they pronounce that word wawa, then that is the speech part of it. So, and a toddler can have challenges in both these areas or just one. And when a toddler is learning both at the same time, like I said, it can kind of be challenging to tease out what's what. So I will go into what is expected for speech sounds specifically. So most children have acquired most of their speech sounds by the age of five. And I'll give by age three, four, and five, and six. So by age three, the sounds that most kids can produce are p, b, m, d, n, G, w, mm-hmm. ng, which is like ng, like at the end of a word, like sing, f, and ya. I don't, hopefully you can hear those with my mic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good. By age four, most children are able to produce l, j, sh, ch, s, z, and v. And by age five, we typically hear r, j, and mm-hmm. v, like in the word the. And then the very last sound that usually comes is um, by age six, which is the th sound with no voice, like in the word thank you. And you know, my daughter is five and a half and mm-hmm. she says thank you <laughs> and thanks for thanks still. And that is still considered typical until six. And I always like to tell parents too, like these numbers right. are not like right on your child's, you know, fourth birthday, they're going to automatically have these sounds, but it's like around that time that they will get it. So she's not saying the sound by age six, which is in June. I'm not going to worry about that. I will see what happens in the next couple months before I would talk to her about it. And I like to show parents these numbers of ages because a lot of times they'll say, how do you help my child say, you know, the R sound and they're only two. And so I think it's really helpful for them to know, oh, they're not supposed to say the R sound yet. Some kids do. This doesn't mean that all kids will get these sounds by these ages, but it just means it's not really a problem or a concern until after these ages. And so some typical error patterns that we see in toddler speech are called phonological processes. And these are rules of when to use a sound in language. And in this case, we're talking about English. And so some examples that you may have heard your child say is called Mm -hmm. final consonant deletion, where the last sound is dropped off of a word. So like ball becomes ba, milk becomes meh. This is considered typical until between the ages of three, three and a half. And another one, a common one that parents ask me about is fronting, which is where a sound that's typically produced in the back of the mouth, like k and g are produced in the front of the mouth. And often it's substituted with t and d. So car becomes tar and green becomes dean. And these are typical as well. So this is why I typically do not work directly on speech sound production until after mm-hmm. a child is three years old. There are definitely cases where I might work on it earlier, but always within the context of language development, because like I said, they're intertwined and children under three are going to have a hard time kind of sitting there and getting multiple reps with just flashcards or something. So you would want to incorporate working on speech sounds in play so that they're having fun. And so most of these patterns, and I can also link you, Mona, to a post that I have that goes through the majority of them, if you want to share that in the notes for people to see. Um, But most of these are resolving by the end of a child's fourth year. There are a few that last until five. A common one I get asked about is cluster reduction, where a child will take a cluster of sounds like the SP in spoon and simplify it to poon 
or frog is puag because they can't get those two sounds. And those often correct by age five. And then just to go over some intelligibility norms. So intelligibility is how well your child is able to be understood by other people. And in general, a two-year-old is understood about 50% of the time by a parent or caregiver. So someone who's familiar with their speech and about 25% intelligible to an unknown listener. So someone who's not familiar with their errors. Like if it's your own child, you might know that when they say poon, they mean spoon. And you obviously have the context of like, they're showing you their spoon and context is really interwoven deeply into intelligence. So obviously, if we listen to someone with no context, we might be like, I have no idea what this child is saying. So use your clues around you to help you figure that out. But obviously, an adult who is not as familiar with the child's errors is going to understand them less. A three-year-old is intelligible Mm -hmm. approximately 75% of the time to a known listener and 50% of the time to an unknown listener. And then by four... They're typically understood 100% of the time by a known listener. And this is even if they still make some errors. Like in the example I gave of my daughter, she says, thanks for thanks, but I know she's saying thanks. So I understand her, even though she's still making some errors. And by four, about 75% intelligible to an unknown listener. That was a lot. (laughs) I love how you broke that down. And especially the last part about the understanding of strangers. My mom was visiting and it's such a true thing. Like she's not normally around my son because she doesn't live near us. And me and my husband understand, I would say 90% of what he's saying, 95, right? He's three little uh, over three, three and four months at the time of this recording. But she comes and she's like, I'm not under, like, it's almost like they're not speaking the same language. And I have to remind my husband that that's normal because my husband's like, how does she not know? Like, this is totally what we know. And I'm like, she's not around him. Like he could say, and we'll know exactly what that means. Like when he was two years old, but it's like, she had, my mom is having to kind of sit slower and be like, Ryan, can you say that again? Um, So that I can understand. But it was definitely a nice observation. Like you said, Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. 
Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. And um, one of the questions that I often get asked, and I had shared, the reason I had this idea of an episode is I had shared a cute video of Ryan and how he pronounces words. Like you said, I'm using the example of poon, spoon. He would say poons, like he would put the S at the end. Um, Same thing with spill. He would say pills. Since I posted that video, he no longer says it the incorrect way and now says it like spoon and spill. But a lot of people were asking in the comment section, do I need to correct these words? And I'm saying it because some parents just really love the cuteness of the words. And they almost like me and my husband, there are certain words that we know that he's going to learn. We're not going to let him become a seven-year-old who doesn't say the right word. But is there, from a developmental standpoint, is there a certain age that we should say, I know you think it's cute, but it's important to educate and foster the correct way to say that so that it is, you know, more of a long-term thing and that we're not having to make back all this work and stuff like that. Sure. I think the solution is to just always repeat back the word the correct way without explicitly saying like, that's not how you say it. So if he said, I want poons, you would say, you want spoons. Here you go. Mm -hmm. And at a certain age, they're going to distinguish the difference between what you're saying. Cause like I have an example of my daughter again, around four. Um, what did she say? <laughs> I don't even remember the word, honestly. Oh, it was wand, like a magic wand. She was like yeah. really into fairies. She would call it a lond with an L. Mm, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And it was really interesting. So let's say this at age four, you can play dumb and you could say a lond. What's a lond? Because you might actually not know what they're talking about if you don't have context. And so that's okay to say. And then she showed me and I was like, oh, a wand. And I didn't, you know, prompt her to say, try it again, use your was sound. But I just modeled it for her and was like, oh, you're talking about your wand. And I kind of like over-exaggerated that sound. And she looked at my mouth and she was like, wand. Like she was trying to say it. She still was in the habit of using the L, but she got it. She says wand now, but really for like younger ones, I would just repeat back what they said, but in the correct context and just change the sound to be correct in your response. And eventually they'll be able to detect the difference. If they're not detecting the difference. And let's say if you look back at the sounds and you know that they can say the sound, but they're not Mm -hmm. saying it in that like one particular word, it could just be a habit that they're used to Mm -hmm. saying because that's how they've called it for a very long time. And if you feel like, okay, they're going to kindergarten now and someone might not be able to understand them, then you could maybe talk 
during play, I would say, just so it's fun, like in my situation, let's go play with our wands. Let's mm-hmm. use our was sound wand. Try not to sit and be like, okay, that's wrong. Let's do it right. this way. You want it to be like positive and fun as we all usually know um, to do with little kids so that we have their buy-in. But yeah, I would say maybe by like kindergarten, if it's a sound that they should have by that age, you could draw more attention to it a little more explicitly. And again, if your child pushes back and it's not an enjoyable experience or they feel self-conscious, I would drop it immediately because if they're in a public school, if it becomes a problem, like they'll be picked up by the speech therapist, we'll figure that out and maybe help them a little bit within the classroom to see if they can get it. A lot of times I know in public schools, they'll help a child before they really like actually sign them up for speech therapy. They'll try to see like, who can I help to like avoid getting them into speech therapy because their caseloads are so big. So they might like pull them out or go into the classroom a couple of times and try and help them. And a lot of kids just get it. But yeah, that's my answer to that. I love that. No, thank you so much. And I, you know, you're right about the, like the corrective way, the positive way of um, correcting them. Like, yes, you want your spoon. Um, It's so funny because Ryan would say the tate you instead of thank you, the tate Mm -hmm. you. And finally he started saying thank you recently. And it was one of the words that my husband really liked it when he said like tate you because he thought it was really cute. And we know that it's coming. We know this is important that they progress into these normal progression of speech sounds. And so then my husband, just a story, my husband was like, Ryan, it's not thank you. It's Tate you. Like he was, he was was just teasing him. (laughs) He was teasing him. And Ryan's like, no daddy, it's thank you. And so it was really funny. And I'm like, this kid, (laughs) this kid gets it. And my, and I was like, obviously it was just a a playful thing that my husband was doing. And then he turned, he's like, turned to me. He's like, dang, he's like, it's done. I'm like, yep, this is important. He's like getting bigger and this is awesome. But um, yeah, I love this conversation. This is so helpful. I wanted to just add one more thing since we're on that topic. I would say there are maybe some words that like in families, I know like in my family, my mom used to call our bed a Betty by. And mm-hmm. so like we call it that. And so if there's like something cute like that, that your child says and that you say, like in general, I don't recommend like saying words cutesy like that. But if it's something mm-hmm. that's like important to you, either culturally or just like traditional in your family, I would just pronounce it both ways. So like we call it a beddy by, but we also call it a bed. And so my kids nice. know both. They know it's called a bed. They're not like calling it beddy by to strangers. They know that like, that's what we call it when we're together, and we're getting ready for bed. So I don't want parents to think that they have to like, you know, be really strict and like not use any cute terms that their kids use. And I don't know if you follow, there's a comedian who I love. I think it's mom, calm, New York city. Mom.com okay. NYC. Oh, no, I've seen some of her stuff though. Yeah. 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 She has a post that I'm actually going to repost. So probably before this comes out, but it's really funny. And she's talking about, she's like, my son who's six now used to say aminals. And now he says animals. He doesn't say aminals anymore. And she said her four-year-old said aminals. And her six-year-old was like, no, that's not how you say it. It's animals. <laughs> and she was like, shh, don't let me have this. Let me have this. <laughs> He's my last baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so that's exactly. I well, that. I love that we're having that because that's exactly it. Like this conversation was birthed yeah. because of the desire, and I totally respect that. That desire of holding on to the cuteness because oh my gosh, and their high pitched voice when they say those cute words. Like from that video I posted, every word has now been corrected except he still calls falafels waffles. 
And it's uh-huh. it's a real yeah. word, waffles, but he just can't say falafel. It's, I mean, it's a pretty complicated right. word. And it's just, we love it. We're like, okay, yeah, this is, and we're going to teach him. We're going to say it in a positive way. And he'll, you know, but it's like, it is a rite of passage that obviously every child will hopefully learn these words. And uh, if not, we'll kind of briefly touch upon when should a parent be concerned? I know you already alluded to, obviously, the kindergarten comment. You also mentioned that in your practice, you start working at the earliest, like three years of age. Is there anything else that you wanted to clarify or add on when a parent should be concerned about progression of speech sounds? Yeah. So speech is pretty complicated. So I'm going to go through some signs that might indicate something, but like on its own, it's Mm -hmm. not an indicator. Like when we do an evaluation, we're really looking at like a cluster of symptoms. And so I don't want a parent to look at this and be like, oh my God, you know, but if you are concerned, definitely reach out to a local speech pathologist. You can, you know, a lot of them will do consultations and they, they can watch a video of your child speaking, or you can bring them in and then they could tell you like, yeah, I recommend an evaluation or like, no, this is fine. So that would be my first recommendation for if you are truly concerned. But yeah, we would like children to be understandable by kindergarten so that, you know, they can do well academically and socially at school. But here are some for some like younger ages, limited number of speech sounds. So like I would say less than three consonant sounds by 16 months would be concerning Mm -hmm. and less than five consonant sounds by 24 months. So I don't know if you, you know, remember vowels from school, A, E, I, O, U, and Y. So consonants would be all the other sounds. Mm -hmm. Distorted vowels or consonants. So a child is attempting to use the correct vowel, but they're saying the vowel incorrectly. When I say incorrect vowel, like distorted, I don't mean like they just haven't gotten the E sound yet. So like they're saying ma, because the first vowel sound that children typically say is like ah and ah, and then we get into like more complex one, like eh, eh. A, things like that. But if a child is saying a vowel, like their vowel sound sounds, I don't know another great word to describe it besides distorted. It's not like Mm -hmm. any of the vowel sounds we use. It's like something's off about it. That might be a tip off that something's going on because that's not typical. They have a limited number of consistent words or word approximations they use. So Mm -hmm. like the majority of words they say might sound different every time they say it even if in a row. So like for the word fish, a child might say like bish, shif, and sif, like within Mm -hmm. a couple minutes of each other and not, you're not even getting consistency. Like if they called a fish bish, fine. And they call it bish all the time, not concerning, but if they say it differently each time. If a child has a sound or a word preference that they use the majority of the time, an example might be like eh, 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 or do, do, do for everything. Mm-hmm. That can happen when a child is learning to speak, like in the very early stages. But if you see that they have like this primary or like word preference by age two still, that would be a red flag to me that something's going on speech wise. If they're stuck using single syllables only. So we know babies mm-hmm. babble, reduplicated babbles, ba, 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 ma, 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 ma. So if a child is not putting two syllables together, like they're saying ma for mama or like ba for bottle instead of baba for bottle. Mm -hmm. And at first you might hear single syllables more frequently, but it should be getting the two syllables. And if they're not, that could be a red flag that something's going on. And I would like to differentiate that with like, if there's a longer word like falafel, for example, or butterfly, like my son used to call butterflies ba. Okay, because like butterflies are very long and difficult. Yeah, Yeah, like one-offs like that are fine. But I'm talking about across the board. If you're like, wow, my child really is only using single syllables. 
that can be an issue. If a child is trying to imitate you, the word they're trying to say kind of is like nothing like what you're trying to say. And on top of that, it's like an atypical speech error. And you might not know this as a parent. So this is where it's good to include a speech therapist. But like if a child called a dog a shog, for example, Mm -hmm. that would be an atypical error because the sound is harder than the duh sound. And we don't normally see that substitution happen. Dogs are usually called da. And so shog would be atypical and that might tip me off. Okay, that's interesting, especially if we're seeing that a lot with different words. And then the last one I have written down here is just that jargon, which is these long strings of gibberish sounding babbling. Mm -hmm. If that persists as like the primary communication of a child past the age of two, that is something that to me, interestingly, for parents indicates there might be a language issue present. And Mm. a lot of parents will think that, oh, you know, my child is actually speaking in sentences, but they're just unclear. We can't understand the words, but really they're not using true words. It's babbling and it's often because of lack of vocabulary. So when we hear jargon a lot past the age of two, it could indicate there's a language issue going on. Do you see, I know we're not talking about gibberish, but I'm just curious since you brought it up. Do you see Mm -hmm. children who are speaking amazing go to gibberish randomly for like attention for no reason when there's another baby in the house? Like I give the example because my son speaks beautiful. Like, I mean, he has a lot of vocabulary, but when we were with another child, like a smaller child, and all of a sudden he's saying like, and we're like, Ryan, Mm -hmm. oh, like, and so do you see that occasional (laughs) gibberish? And happen yeah, for sure. like toddlers. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that's different from jargon, but that would probably yeah. be just him like, you know, doing baby talk and <laughs> yeah. maybe when you're around another baby or even when your next baby is born, he might start doing some baby-ish things to yeah. kind of be like the baby and get attention to. My son also speaks very well. And obviously he's three and a half, almost four. He can walk, but he's starting to like pull his, you know, he takes his like shirt and pulls it down over his legs and like pretends to be a baby crawling around oh, and like wants me to pick him up yeah. and like do things yeah. for him that he can do. Yeah. And so I think like that type of gibberish might fall under that umbrella as well. Oh, and also some kids can just be being silly. This is yes. something that I've had parents ask me about we too. I think he does it like a lot with silliness because whenever he's trying to be like, especially with grandparents, like when the grandparents come around, he'll just start to do that. And we're like, it's such an interesting observation because we're like, Ryan, you know these how to say the phrases that you're trying to say. But all of a sudden he's like, I did it. And, and he, it's like he has the inflection, but not mm-hmm. the words that are actually accurate mm-hmm. that he knows. And then my mother is even like, what's going on? And I'm like, mom, don't worry. Yeah. He's not, there's no real words there. That's fine. But yeah, think, yeah, silliness. He, and Ryan is a super silly kid. Like he loves to be silly and playful and make people laugh. So I think he, cause then my mother-in-law will start laughing when he talks like that. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, don't want him to think <laughs> yeah. that's the norm um, that we're doing in here. But um, I'm happy you brought up that if this is becoming the norm, especially after two, that it's something that we should address because, you know, obviously jargon, like all that stuff is really important. This was so great. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad. Awesome. So where can everyone find you in terms of your Instagram sites, your resources? 
Yeah. So I'm just raising little talkers on Instagram and my website is raisinglittletalkers.com. And I have tons of resources. Check out my highlights on Instagram. I feel like people don't look at highlights anymore, but I've had like they tons don't. of stuff saved yes. in there. I know. And I'm like, check know. it out. It's organized, all nice. I also, in my LinkedIn profile, I have a free checklist download that tells you what to expect from three months all the way to three years that parents find extremely helpful because a lot of times they're concerned about stuff and then they're like, oh, actually that's, you know, later developing skill. I don't need to worry about that. Or on the flip side, they're like, oh, okay, maybe I should get an evaluation or I should check in with, you know, a speech pathologist. So either way, I think that's a positive to kind of know what the norms are. And then I also have a free workshop for parents where I give some tips and strategies to kind of get your feet wet and start helping your child at home. And that's also linked in there. Awesome. And I am going to be linking all of that to our show notes. And like I said, Melissa was already on the podcast talking about pre-verbal communication. So definitely you can search my website. If you can't find that episode, just search pre-verbal hyphen between pre-verbal and you'll get that episode pulled up. It was a top 10 episode so far on the show. So definitely worth a listen as was this one. Thanks again for joining me today, Melissa. Yeah, this was fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And for everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And Melissa, it's such a pleasure having on the show. If you did love it, make sure you leave a review, call her out, say how much you loved her information, and definitely give her a follow. The reviews that you leave the podcast is how this show continues to grow. So thank you. And I can't wait to talk to another guest next time. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at Pete's Doc Talk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Pete's Doc Talk TV. We'll talk to you soon. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.